Long History The Southern United States in the 1500s Part 5 Battles and Chains in Florida Hello everyone and welcome to your latest 10 minute snippet of history from Long History and we've reached Part 5 of the Southern United States in the 1500s For anyone new to this document, this text describes an expedition from the mid-1500s to explore large parts of the southerly states of the US This is from Florida to Arkansas and most of the states in between this expedition was headed by Hernando de Soto and began in April 1538. This text was written by a Portuguese man known as Gentleman of Elvers. There are 25 episodes in total for this series, so if you haven't already, feel free to head back to episode 1 to start at the beginning, and subscribe to be notified of other episodes in the series, giving you the opportunity to hear some of the first ever European descriptions of these areas. As this episode begins, Hernando de Soto, known as the governor in this text, along with his men, are exploring south-central Florida, with this episode beginning in a place called Calais. In the last episode there were hints of gold, but the local people seem reluctant to deal with the Spanish. This isn't very surprising, as the Spanish seize lots of local food supplies, which leads to conflict. The Spanish have taken prisoners who state that food is more plentiful in the north, in a place called Apalache. Early on in this episode, a man called Narvaez is mentioned. He was the leader of a previous disastrous expedition, which has already been serialised on long history. The disastrousness of that journey does not bode well for the Spanish. So here we go with the southern United States in the 1500s, part 5, Battles and Chains in Florida. Chapter 11. How the governor arrived at Caliquen, and thence, taking the cacique with him, came to Napetaca, where the Indians, attempting to rescue him, had many of their number killed and captured, on the 11th day of August in the year 1539, the governor left Calais and arrived to sleep at a small town called Itara, and the next day at another called Potano, and the third at Utinama, and then at another named Malapas. This place was so called because one, representing himself to be its cacique, came peacefully, saying that he wished to serve the governor with his people, and asked that he would cause the 28 men and women, prisoners taken the night before, to be set at liberty, that provisions should be brought, and that he would furnish a guide for the country in advance of us. Whereupon, the governor having ordered the prisoners to be let loose, and the Indian put under guard, the next day in the morning came many natives close to a scrub surrounding the town, near which the prisoner asked to be taken, that he might speak and satisfy them, as they would obey in whatever he commanded. But no sooner had he found himself close to them, then he boldly started away, and fled so swiftly that no one could overtake him, going off with the rest into the woods. The governor ordered a bloodhound already fleshed upon him, to be let loose, which, passing by many, seized upon the faithless cacique, and held him until the Christians had come up. From this town the people went to sleep at Datucholupaja, which, for its abundance of maize, received the name of Villafarta, and thence, crossing a river before it, by a bridge they had made of wood, the Christians marched two days through an uninhabited country. On the 17th day of August they arrived at Caliquen, where they heard of the province of Apalache, of Narvaez having been there, and having embarked, because no road was to be found over which to go forward, and of there being no other town, and that water was on all sides. Every mind was depressed at this information, and all counselled the governor to go back to the port, that they might not be lost as Narvaez had been, and to leave the land of Florida, that, should they go further, they might not be able to get back, 
as the little maize that was yet left the Indians would secure, to which Soto replied that he would never return until he had seen with his own eyes what was asserted, things that to him appeared incredible. Then he ordered us to be in readiness for the saddle, sending word to Luis de Moscoso to advance from Calais, that he waited for him, and, as in the judgment of the master of the camp and of many others, they should have to return from Apalache, they buried in Calais some iron implements with other things. They reached Caliquen through much suffering, for the land over which the governor had marched lay wasted and was without maize. All the people having come up, a bridge was ordered to be made over a river that passed near the town, whereon we crossed the 10th day of September, taking with us the cacique. When, three days on our journey, some Indians arrived to visit their lord, and every day they came out to the road, playing upon flutes, a token among them that they come in peace. They stated that further on there was a cacique named Osachil, kinsman of the chief of Caliquen, their lord, who waited the arrival of the governor, prepared to do great services, and they besought him to set their cacique free, which he feared to do, lest they should go off without giving him any guides, so he got rid of them from day to day with specious excuses. We marched five days, passing through some small towns, and arrived at Napetaka on the 15th day of September, where we found 14 or 15 Indians who begged for the release of the cacique of Caliquen, to whom the governor declared that their lord was no prisoner, his attendants being wished only as far as Osachil. Having learned from Juan Ortiz, to whom a native had made it known, that the Indians had determined to assemble and fall upon the Christians for the recovery of their chief, the governor, on the day for which the attack was concerted, commanded his men to be in readiness, the cavalry to be armed and on horseback, each one so disposed of in his lodge as not to be seen of the Indians, that they might come to the town without reserve. Four hundred warriors with bows and arrows appeared in sight of the camp, and, going into a thicket, they sent two of their number to demand the cacique. The governor, with six men on foot, taking the chief by the hand, conversing with him the while to assure the Indians, went towards the place where they were, when, finding the moment propitious, he ordered a trumpet to be sounded. Directly, they who were in the houses, foot as well as horse, set upon the natives, who, assailed unexpectedly, thought only of their safety. Of two horses killed, one was that of the governor, who was mounted instantly on another. From thirty to forty natives fell by the lance. The rest escaped into two very large ponds, situated some way apart, wherein they swam about, and, being surrounded by the Christians, they were shot at with crossbow and arquebus, although to no purpose, because of the long distance they were off. At night, one of the lakes was ordered to be guarded, the people not being sufficient to encircle both. The Indians, in attempting to escape in the dark, would come swimming noiselessly to the shore, with a leaf of water-lily on the head, that they might pass unobserved. When those mounted, at sight of any ruffle on the surface, would dash into the water up to the breasts of the horses, and the natives would again retire. In such way passed the night, neither party taking any rest. Juan Ortiz told them that, as escape was impossible, they would do well to give up, which they did, driven by extreme chillness of the water, and one after another, as cold overpowered, called out to him, asking not to be killed, that he was coming straight away to put himself in the hands of the governor. At four o'clock in the morning they had all surrendered, save twelve of the principal men, who, as of more distinction and more valiant than the rest, preferred to die rather than yield. Then the Indians of Paracochi, who were going about unshackled, went in after them swimming and pulled them out by the hair. 
they were all put in chains and, on the day following, were divided among the Christians for their service. While captives, these men determined to rebel and gave the lead to an interpreter, one reputed brave, that when the governor might come near to speak with him, he should strangle him. But no sooner was the occasion presented, and before his hands could be thrown around the neck of Soto, his purpose was discovered, and he received so heavy a blow from him in the nostrils that they gushed with blood. The Indians all rose together, he who could only catch up a pestle from a mortar, as well as he who could grasp a weapon, equally exerted himself to kill his master, or the first one he met, and, he whose fortune it was to light on a lance or a sword, handled it in a manner as though he had been accustomed to use it all his days. One Indian, in the public yard of the town, with blade in hand, fought like a bull in the arena, until the halberdiers of the governor, arriving, put an end to him. Another got up with a lance into a maize crib made of cane, called by Indians barbacoa, and defended the entrance with the uproar of ten men, until he was stricken down with a battle-axe. They who were subdued may have been in all two hundred men. Some of the youngest the governor gave to those who had good chains and were vigilant. All the rest were ordered to execution, and, being bound to a post in the middle of the town yard, they were shot to death with arrows by the people of Paracochi. Chapter 12. How the governor arrived at Palace and was informed that there was much gold in land. On the 23rd day of September, the governor left Napitaka and went to rest at a river where two Indians brought him a deer from the cacique of Osachil, and the next day, having passed through a large town called Apaluya, he slept at Osachil. He found no person there, for the inhabitants, informed of the deaths at Napitaka, dared not remain. In the town was found their food, much maize, beans and pumpkins, on which the Christians lived. The maize is like coarse millet. The pumpkins are better and more savoury than those of Spain. Two captains having been sent in opposite directions in quest of Indians, a hundred men and women were taken, one or two of whom were chosen out for the governor, as was always customary for officers to do after successful inroads dividing the others among themselves and companions. They were led off in chains, with collars about the neck, to carry luggage and grind corn, doing the labour proper to servants. Sometimes it happened that, going with them for wood or maize, they would kill the Christian and flee with the chain on, which others would file at night with a splinter of stone in the place of iron, at which work, when caught, they were punished, as a warning to others, and that they might not do the like. The women and youths, when removed a hundred leagues from their country, no longer cared and were taken along loose, doing the work and in very little time learning the Spanish language. From Osachil, the governor went towards Apalache and at the end of two days' travel arrived at a town called Ajille. After that, the Indians having no knowledge of the Christians, they were come upon unawares, the greater part escaping nevertheless because there were woods near town. The next day, the 1st of October, the governor took his departure in the morning and ordered a bridge to be made over a river which he had to cross. The depth there for a stone's throw was over the head and afterward the water came to the waist for the distance of a crossbow shot where was a growth of tall and dense forest into which the Indians came to ascertain if they could assail the men at work and prevent a passage but they were dispersed by the arrival of crossbow men and some timbers being thrown in the men gained the opposite side and secured the way. On the fourth day of the week, Wednesday of St. Francis, the governor crossed over and reached Huitachuco, a town subject to Apalache, where he slept, 
He found it burning, the Indians having set it on fire. Thenceforward, the country was well inhabited, producing much corn, the way leading by many habitations like villages. Sunday, the 25th of October, he arrived at the town of Osela, and on Monday at Anyaika Abalache, where the lord of all that country and province resided. The campmaster, whose duty it is to divide and lodge the men, quartered them about the town, at the distance of half a league to a league apart. There were other towns which had much maize, pumpkins, beans, and dried plums of the country, whence were brought together at Anyaika Abalache what appeared to be sufficient provision for the winter. These amejas are better than those of Spain, and come from trees that grow in the fields without being planted. The events covered here run from August to October 1539. Surprising here are the casual details, the chaining of local people, and the automatic, unthinking acceptance that all these people will become servants, and that their rebellions are just details which will have to be dealt with. The conflict seems to be constant, and the mix of battles and betrayals leads to a confusing scene where no one seems to benefit, and the decisions the Spanish make here seem only destined to cause more conflict. In the next episode, the skirmishes continue as De Soto continues to head north. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Long History. As you've made it this far, please don't forget to like the episode. Although we're now into episode 5, De Soto's explorations are only just beginning, and in the next few episodes he'll head up through the Atlantic states of Georgia, South and North Carolina. So thank you for listening to the Southern United States in the 1500s, Part 5, Battles and Chains in Florida. Goodbye.